We are in Luke, Luke chapter 8, and I almost said, if you didn't get a copy of sermon notes, raise your hand. (laughs) But everybody would be raising their hand, wouldn't they? Um, Nina's story kind of reminded me of a a story that I'd heard once, and it was very similar uh, about uh, a woman that had been away from home for, you know, several weeks, and she, you know, after three or four weeks, she calls home, and the first thing, you know, her husband says, hey, the cat died, and she's like, what? And uh, he said, yeah, the cat died, and, uh, you know, she said, dude, you are the most insensitive person I've ever met in my life. You just don't blurt it out like that. You know, you just say, you could have said something like, you know, hon, you know, I just want to tell you that the cat was climbing the tree and tried to jump from the, the tree to the roof of the house and was on the roof of the house and fell off and, you know, uh, you could have broke it to me kind of that way. He says, don't be so insensitive. And then she says, her next question was, how's grandma? And there was a long pause. He says, well, grandma was climbing the tree. <laughs> Let's pray. God, we're so grateful. We love you this morning, Father, and we bless you in the name of your son, Jesus, and pray that you would just pour out your Holy Spirit upon us this morning, Lord. We love your word, and Lord, we want to hear what your word has to say to us this morning, Lord, that we could walk out of here changed as a result of your word, Father. Your word promises about itself. You say that you send it forth, that you release your word, and it does, it accomplishes what you purpose. And Father, I'm thinking about another passage in the psalm that said, you sent forth your word and brought healing. And we just ask that you just release the word with power and life this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we we are are, uh, in uh, Luke chapter 8, and um, I want to um, just give a little background, if I can, on some of this. you know, I didn't do uh, the last part of, or, or I, I guess the, the passage previous to this, um, it's where Jesus goes, they cross the sea. Remember we talked about this uh, last week where they crossed the sea and there was a storm in the boat. And the disciples were all just like, you know, just like, you know, freaking out there, you know, the, the wind and the waves and the storm in life. And, you know, and then he asked them, where's their faith? And, uh, you know, and then we just asked that question, you know, faith in what? You know, because it certainly wasn't faith, wasn't faith uh, that he could stop the storm or quiet the storm because it said that when he did quiet the storm that they were astonished. They were astonished that he was even able to quiet a storm. They, they marveled that even the winds and the waves were subject to him. And so we concluded that the statement, where was your faith or where is your faith, Uh, had to do with when he said, let's get in the boat and go across to the other side of the lake, that his intention was to get to the other side of the lake. And then the storm comes in and, and, uh, you know, disaster strikes. And, uh, you know, that's the way that it is in our lives when we, you know, we face the storms of life, uh, that sometimes it's just like we forget the word. And they forgot the word that he said, we're going to the other side of the lake. And then uh, as they got over there, and this is the part um, that we didn't cover, and and I'm just going to kind of skip over this, but I'll just kind of paraphrase it for you. This is where he meets the Gadarene demoniac, the man that's called Legion because he had so many demons. And so as this man is delivered and he's in his right mind, and uh, this is the story also where the... uh, 
uh, the pigs are, you know, run down into the sea. But it said that all of that town, uh, the, 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 the people of that town came out and they ended up asking Jesus to leave. Now, that's a lot different than where we pick up here. Um, we, we're picking up in Luke chapter 8, verse 40. And notice the contrast here. And this is, the, you know, this story uh, uh, is about the, uh, the, the woman with the issue of blood. We're going to read two of the parables. The woman with the issue of the blood and the story of uh, the synagogue leader, Jairus, just about uh, the raising of his daughter from the dead. And uh, this is the only time in the New Testament or in the synoptic gospels, all three of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, have the same story. They cover the same story. They cover it the same way. And it's like a miracle in a miracle. Jesus is about to perform one miracle, and he's interrupted, and then has to do, he does another miracle, and then he goes back, the second part, to complete the first uh, miracle that he had started out to do. Now, keeping in mind what I just said about the people on the other side of the, uh, the, the Sea of Galilee, uh, after the, uh, the gathering demoniac was healed and delivered, uh, they, the townspeople came and asked him to leave. It was just like he wasn't welcome there anymore. But when we pick up Luke 8, uh, chapter 8, verse 40, uh, it says, So it was when Jesus returned, that he came back from the other side of the lake, that the multitude welcomed him. So see the difference in climate, the spiritual climate. Uh, there was this group of people that was waiting. It says that they were waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, um, and he was the ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes thronged him. And remember that we said that this thing, this whole, this whole Jesus movement is just really building. It's really gathering momentum. I mean, just like day by day, you know, I mean, the crowds are coming. And most of them are coming. You know, they're hearing about the, the deliverance of the demonic. They're hear, hearing about, you know, how Jesus is, is healing people. The blind, uh, the blind are seeing. The lame are, are healed. Uh, they're jumping and praising God. Uh, the mouth of the mute has been opened. And so they're hearing about all of these things, and it's just like, you know, hundreds if not thousands are coming, and it says that the, the crowds, um, it says that the multitudes uh, thronged him. It says, and now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all of her livelihood on physicians could not be healed by any of them. She came from behind, touched the border of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, when it, uh, and Jesus said, who touched me? And when all denied it, and Peter and those that were with him said, Master. I mean, it's just kind of like, Jesus, seriously, are you kidding me? Look at, I mean, there's, you know, Peter wants, Jesus wants to know who touched him. And Peter's saying, look, the throngs, they, they press you. And you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me. For I perceived power going out of me. Now, that's an interesting statement. It's almost like he did not have the power to control healing that was going out of him. You know, he would touch people. He would heal people. But when this lady comes up, and, you know, uh, I, I won't take the time to read it this morning. Uh, but if you want to look this up, the whole chapter of Leviticus, chapter 15, deals with... Uh, the woman or women with the issue of blood. 
Um, and that's just t- talking about that, that, uh, the, that common time of month that women have an issue of blood. But the thing that's uncommon about this woman is that she is bleeding nonstop for 12 years. And she spent all of her money trying to get healed, and she can't get healed. And so she comes up, and she, uh, you know, let me just back up to verse 45. He says, who touched me? And Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now the woman saw that when she was not hidden, came trembling and falling down before him. And she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason that she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Let me just talk about this for a second. You know, we see other people. We see, uh, you know, blind Bartimaeus. You know, this guy that's blind on the side of the street. And he's just shouting out, Jesus, son of Nazareth, have mercy on me. And he's screaming so much that the crowds go over and try to put their hand over his mouth. And, you know, it's like, dude, calm down. But he wouldn't calm down. He's just like in it. You know, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And, uh, you know, when Jesus says, uh, son, what is it that you want? He's like, Lord, my eyes, my sight, my vision, I want to be able to see. And so, you know, when we think about it, why didn't this woman do the same thing? Why didn't she just cry out, Jesus, you know, touch me? And then he would have said, what is your problem? And she would have had to say what her problem was. Well, when we look at Leviticus chapter 15, we see that a woman with an issue of blood, whether it's monthly issue or an extended time, is an unclean person. And everything that she touches, her bed, her clothing, uh, her house, everything is unclean. She's like a, a pariah, you know, she's just like, you know, the crowds have to stay away from her. And at the same time, the scripture also says in Leviticus chapter 15 that anyone that touches her is unclean. And so she's thinking in her mind that, you know, I can't, I can't just shout this out. I can't shout out what my problem is because, number one, the crowd will just like, you know, I mean, the crowd's going to keep me away because I'm unclean. And no rabbi, no rabbi would really touch me because I'm unclean. He would be defiled himself. And so... Um, she thinks in her mind, you know, if I could just touch the, the hem of his garment, if I can just touch his garment, uh, Matthew chapter 9 says it this way, and suddenly a woman who has a flow of blood or who has had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. Well, let me just tell you, there were, there were two types of clothing that, you know, people wore in that day and still in the Mideast uh, wear today. You had like an undergarment that's, uh, you know, kind of like, almost like our underwear, and then you had an outer garment, and then you would have like a prayer, kind of like a prayer shawl, and um, I, I want to I just cover that, but I think it's really important for us to see why she thought that if she could touch the hem of his garment, that she would, uh, she would be okay. In, um, let me just read you about the hem of the garment. Numbers chapter 15. Brian, this is probably, you've heard me and, and Ralph have heard me preach this. I've been preaching to them this message for the last two weeks, so this is kind of like, <laughs> all right, deja vu again. Um, again, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, speak to the children of Israel. Tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread 
in the tassel of the corners. And you shall have the tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them that you may not follow the harlotry to which your hearts or your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. And that you may remember to do all of my commandments and be holy uh, for your God. All right, so God's telling them that when they make this, it's like a prayer shawl. It's got the little fringe on it. Typically, they would tie five knots in each of the little fringes that came down that stood for the five first books of the Bible, uh, which we call the Torah. And, uh, and so this, this tassel or this corner of the, uh, the garment is called, uh, a, in Hebrew, it's called kanaf. And it means the edge of the garment. Uh, in Mesopotamia, when they uncovered some of the uh, archaeological sites, they found in clay tablets where, um, where historical documents or, or, or actual documents of lands or deeds or whatever that would need a signature, a lot of times a person, a man would use that tassel on his garment as his signature. It would be pressed between two tablets of clay and, and then dried out, and that was like his signing of the document. It was a very honorable thing for men to wear this, this, this shawl, this prayer shawl. And women had them too. And if a man was going to divorce his wife, he would tear, uh, rip the hem of the garment off. And, uh, you know, for, uh, I mean, it was just like a hu humiliation thing for a woman or even another man to have the hem of his garment ripped off. And I want to just give you a couple of examples. Um, one of these, thanks to Brian, is from 1 Samuel 15. It says, but Samuel said to Saul, remember when Saul sinned, uh, you know, he, he, they're going out to battle, and Saul sins. Not only is he the king, but he tries to be the priest. And, and Samuel doesn't show up for the sacrifice, so, so Saul uh, actually does the sacrifice for him, which was only, you know, only the priests were entitled to do. But Saul decides that, you know, he's going to do it himself. And, uh, and Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected, listen to this, you have rejected the word of God. And because he rejected the word of God, it says, the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and tore it. That's the same word. That, it's that same Hebrew word that talks about tearing the hem of his gar garment. And he says, and said, Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. So you see this humiliation thing, this hem of the garment has been torn from, from Saul's shawl, and now he's humiliated. Another example is when uh, King Saul, even though he knew that God had taken the kingdom from him, would not give it up. He would not relinquish it easy. And so he continued to serve for a period of time. And uh, David had a number of opportunities to kill King Saul. I'm going to show you one of those here. And, you know, David was anointed king of Israel. Uh, and, uh, but there's this, this wait time. And I can't remember who said it this morning. Maybe Nina or uh, Benji or one of them said, talked about, a wait time. Guys, I want to just tell you that I feel like that's where a lot of us are right now. It's like we're between right now and we know something is coming, but we're stuck in this wait time. It's kind of like the next step. And uh, it's one of the hardest things for Christians to do, especially in this society in America where we want everything now and we, we want it today and we want it now. And I mean, just right this minute. 
Um, but David is in this waiting period. Saul is still king. God has already anointed David and, and told him that he would be king, but he's in the waiting trial period. And so during this period, Saul is trying to kill him. Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all of Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep pens along the way, and a cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. And David and his men were far back in the cave, and the men said, This is the day that the Lord spoke when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. And David crept up unnoticed and cut off, listen to this, the corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. Now Saul goes back out to be with his men. David comes out to the mouth of the cave, and he's waving the corner of Saul's robe, this, this hem of the garment. And he's humiliating him in front of these 3,000 men that Saul is with. Okay, and so it's a form of humiliation if you had that off. It's a badge of honor to those that keep it intact, but it's a badge of humiliation for those who lose it. So what does that have to do with uh, the story? The woman coming up and touching Jesus' garment. Well, I'm glad you asked. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, listen to this. It says, but to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. All right, I want to just tell you that all four words, all four of those words, those four stories about in numbers about making the, how you prepare the shawl or the, or the prayer robe, uh, the story about Samuel tearing Saul's, the story about David cutting off Saul's to the corner of his robe, and this word right here, the son of righteousness will overshadow you with healing in his wings. If you want to look it up, it's Strong's Word, 3671, Kanaf. And uh, it, it means the hem or the wing or the corner of the garment. And so what I'm saying here, having now, now that we know this, maybe it gives us a little bit of insight that just like Isaiah 35, the signs of the Messiah, when the Messiah would come, and everybody was looking for one, you know, they asked John the Baptist, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that, you know, that we've been waiting for? Are you the prophet? They were constantly looking for the promise of the Old Testament of the Messiah to come. And some of the signs that would accompany, it was just like you would know who the Messiah was if the Messiah did certain things. In Isaiah 35, chapter, uh, chapter 35, starting at verse 5, says that when the Messiah comes, he's going to open the eyes of the blind, he's going to heal the lame, he's going to open the mouth of the mute so that they will, the lame will run and dance like a, you know, uh, like a, uh, a deer, and, uh, and, and, the, and the mouth of the, of the mute is going to speak praises to God. And so those were some of the signs that, you know, that Messiah would do. But also, Malachi tells us that when the Messiah comes, that he will have healing in his wings or in his garment. And so, listen, I believe that this woman, you know, hearing the Word of God, knowing the Word of God, perhaps been in a, a, a service where that message was preached that one of these days the Messiah is going to come, and when he does come, that there will actually be healing in the very garment that he's wearing. She's taken the word of God, the written word of God, 
the logo. She's taken that written word of God. She said, you know what? I mean, I've heard all of these things about Jesus. Now, some, saying, some are saying that he is the prophet. And some are saying that he's just a good teacher. But I believe that she had concluded, knowing all the things that Jesus did, I think that she said, you know what? The Bible says, the Word of God says, if I can just sneak in. I can't identify myself. I can't tell the crowd what my problem is. I can't even tell him what my problem is. But I'm just going to go in and touch the hem of the garment. And when she does, she's healed. And then Jesus, I mean, this is kind of amazing, but Jesus realizes that healing has gone from him. He didn't have control over it. You know, typically when he does a miracle, miracle, he touches someone or speaks a word, but all of a sudden healing has gone from him. Healing power has gone from him, and he notices that healing power has gone from him, and he calls the woman in, and it says, and when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason, the reason that she had touched him and how she was healed. And now, you know, when we think about this story, we started off talking about Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, that comes to Jesus and telling him the story. Jesus, they're walking side by side. Lord, I'm hoping that you could come. Could you come just heal my daughter? I think that you know, I know that you're a good teacher. In fact, that's how I even refers to him as teacher. But see, I believe the reason that it happened, the way that it happened, is that when this woman is declaring her story, when she's telling her story, that the Scripture says that when Messiah comes, that if I touch the hem of his garment, that I will be healed. Now, I believe that Jairus was walking up to meet Jesus thinking, here's a good teacher. But as he witnesses this, as he witnesses this incredible miracle, Jairus is witnessing this miracle that, wait a second, this, this is not just a good teacher. This is not just a prophet. This is the Messiah. This is Messiah. This is the one that we've been waiting for, longing for, and hoping for. And... Um, so then let's just pick up with the, with the uh, well, let, let me just say, first of all, for some of you skeptics out there, <laughs> there's got to be one or two in a crowd like this. Does that sound weird? Does that sound odd to touch the garment and be healed? Well, let me read you a couple of scriptures that may change your mind. In Acts chapter 5, verse 15, it says, as a result, people brought the sick into the street and laid them on beds and mats, listen, so that at least Peter's shadow, Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as they passed by. And crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed simply by Peter's shadow touching them. Here's another one, Acts 19. And God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that he had touched were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Now, that, it, it all fits pretty, pretty nicely. It's a nice little package for me. I say amen to that. Okay. All right. And so let's get back to our story. And so he's talking to the woman and it says while he was still speaking. 
Now remember, Jairus is there, Jesus is there, the woman has just given her testimony. And while he's still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Boy, I tell you what, there's no harder words than that right there. Your daughter is dead. Now listen to what he says, do not trouble the teacher. Now, like I said, I believe that Jairus went there thinking, I'm going to see the teacher. I'm going to see the prophet. I'm going to see this guy that's doing some healing. Maybe he can help my daughter. But I believe that when that woman said, you know, the scripture says that if I touch the hem of Messiah's garment, I will be healed. I believe that was part of her testimony. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, now listen to this, he answered him saying, do not be afraid. Only believe, and she will be made well. Now, this is a word of God. This is the word of God from, uh, from Jesus to Jairus, okay? The, the word is, your daughter's dead. She's dead. It's over. Don't bother the teacher. Come on home. Let's make the funeral arrangements. Let's, you know, he, she's gone, and all hope is lost. But Jesus looks at him. Now, here, you've got this, guys, this is what you've got to hear. This is the Word of God. Sometimes we have the written Word of God that we can look at, and sometimes we have that spoken Word of God, that, that logos, lo, logos Word and the Rhema Word. The Rhema Word is that, that spoken Word of God. And when Jesus speaks this Word, He is speaking that Rhema Word to this guy, and He's saying, do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. And so, man, it's like they're off. They are off to his house. It said when he came into the house, uh, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, do not weep. She is not dead, but is sleeping. And they ridiculed him, knowing that she was dead. But he put them all outside, took her by the hand, um, and called, saying, little girl, arise. And her spirit returned, and she arose immediately and he commanded that she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them uh, to tell no one what had happened. You know, I mean, how can you not tell anyone? I mean, this, this is something to be spoken about. It reminds me of the story about the three guys, the three pastors that were, you know, they'd gone on a, a trip together. And they said, look, you know, we're together. Let's be honest with one another. Uh, tell me your sin. Tell me what you struggle with. And so the one guy went first, and he said, well, sometimes when I'm out of town and nobody's around, you know, I like to have a drink or two. And uh, so the other guy says, well, what's your problem? You know, what kind of sin do you struggle with? He says, well, occasionally, if we go to these uh, conferences over, like, in Vegas, or he said, I'll hit the slot machines every once in a while. Uh, you know, I just like to gamble when I get an opportunity. And so they told the third guy, he says, your turn. Tell us what your sin is. And... Uh, He's just like, man, I, I'm not saying, come on, guy. We told you ours. You tell us yours. He's like, no, no. And uh, he says, well, to be honest with you, my sin is gossip, and I can't wait to get home. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, they, you know this, this couple right here, they're at a place where Jesus tells them not to tell anybody. And, you know, you know that this has got to be on their heart. You know that they got to be thinking, you know, man, I mean, we have witnessed a miracle. We have seen our daughter was dead. We know that she was dead. The people outside knew that she was dead. They even laughed at Jesus when, you know, he said that she was sleeping. 
let me just say, let me just back up again. I, I want to just repeat that word. When Jesus is there and he got the word that the little girl was dead, Jairus, the, the father, got the word, and Jesus looks at him and says, do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our report? What is the report? It's the word of God. It's the Bible. Who has believed our report? So then faith, listen to this, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. So I believe that whether it was the spoken word that Jesus gave this guy or the written word that the woman was looking at where she read the, you know, the prophet uh, or the the prophetic word out of Malachi that when the Messiah comes, you could touch the hem of his garment and you could be healed. When she got a hold of the written word and and this guy got a hold of the spoken word of God, you know, that... uh, their lives were changed. And I want to just tell you today that, that, you know, I believe that every one of us in here this morning need to have a word from God. You know, that some of you are stuck, some of you are in a place, you don't, you, you know, you don't know what to do, what's the next turn, where do I go to school, am I in the right relationship, you know, are we supposed to take a job in another part of the country? Uh, Lord, what is it that you're saying about me, about ministry? Am I supposed to be involved in ministry? And if so, when and where? What do you want me to do? I believe that we all need a word of God. And, uh, you know, uh, l- let me just, uh, I want to just kind of flash, fast forward here if I could. And uh, when Jesus was saying, uh, before I get to this next point, I, I just want to, I want to make a, a point about we, we have the word of God the faith word of God for the woman. We have the faith word of God for Jairus about his daughter. But where is the faith for the little girl? Does she have to have faith? Does she have to have faith to rise up? You know, that, what I want to say about that is that is a picture of the end times. Uh, it is a picture that's very well described in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And Paul is writing, and he says, I tell you a mystery. Remember what Jesus said about the little girl, that she wasn't dead, that she was just a, a what? She was asleep. He says, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will rise incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. Now, it's not, it's not going to take faith on your part that, you know, a lot of people think that when it's over, when you're dead, that it's over, and that's it. But it's not over. The Bible tells us that there is going to be a day of resurrection when everyone, the dead, both the righteous dead and the unrighteous dead, the ungodly, those that have uh, abandoned God, those that have turned their backs on God, there will be a resurrection day. And we will all stand before either the great white throne judge, uh, seat of judgment for the unbelievers or the uh, throne of Christ, the, the judgment seat of Christ, where we will receive our rewards for what we did, how we lived our life. Uh, as uh, someone said, uh, two questions that God's going to ask you. I don't know this for sure, but it sounds reasonable. Uh, what did you do with your life, and what did you do with my son Jesus? Okay. Sounds like pretty reasonable questions. Let me give you a couple of examples on uh, the Logos Word of God, the written Word of God. Uh, 
I, wa- I want to, um, you know, as these came to me, these are promises of God that I believe that each of us need to get a hold of. Some kind of promise from God, that you need a promise from the Word of God, something that you can cling to like this woman, you know, clinging to the Word of God. One of them is about forgiveness of sin. Now listen to this. The Word says, I have swept your sins like the clouds. I have scattered your offenses like the, uh, I've got, it's blocked out. (laughs) Uh, He says, return to me, for I have paid a price to set you free. He says, I have swept your sins like the clouds, and I have paid the price to set you free. You know what that price was? That was Jesus. Jesus was the price to have your sins swept away. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, it says, there's a promise that God will always be with us. Sometimes I know that when we go through life, we journey through life, that we feel like, God, where are you now? God, you're not in this mess that I'm in. I'm in a mess, and I'm in it all by myself. Where are you, God? But Deuteronomy 31.6 says that, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. This is God sending the children of Israel into the promised land knowing that there were armies and and people groups there that were bigger and stronger and greater than they were. But God's saying that I'm going to be with you. As you go out, as you go out and journey through life, as you move through life, that you're going to find problems that are are bigger than you are. There are giants in your land. But God is saying to you today, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified of these problems or these issues in your life. For the Lord your God goes with you, and he will never leave you or forsake you. That's a good promise from God. God is always there to help you. Sometimes you're wondering, you know, God, I'm just, I'm weak, I'm worn out. But the Bible says that God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. I love that because I find myself in trouble all the time. And I need, it's good for me to know that God's with me. He says that um, he's an ever-present help in a time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, and though its waters roar and foam in the mountains, uh, the foam and the mountains quake with their surging, God is going to be with you. You know, that, what that, you don't want to paraphrase on that? It's a while hell comes against you, God's going to be there. He's going to be there when, I mean, your world has fallen apart. God is saying that I'm going to help you. I'll be there in your time of trouble. God says that he's going to, here's another promise, that he'll take away your fear. You know, we have so many fears in life today. Are you turn on the evening news? I mean, you got fears of, you know, fires on the west coast and floods on the east coast and tornadoes in between. I mean, we've got every time you turn on the news, there's something new about some kind of new virus that they can't find a cure for. That, you know, this MERS, is it MERS, the MERS fires? They're saying now it's here in the United States, you know, these viruses that are like immune to antibiotics uh, and bacteria that are immune to antibiotics. It's just like there's, you know, I, you had to talk about the life expectancy, you know, being shortened and all of these, you know, we worry about our children, see all these perverts that are out there. You know, we worry about them going to school, what they're learning in school. There's so many things that we can fear. Worry about your job and your finances and your relationship. Is this thing going to work out? Are we going to stay married? Or where are we? Where are we in this thing? Is my job secure? So many fears that we can deal with. Well, good will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts his affairs with justice. Surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. Now listen to this. He will have no fear of bad news. 
His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is secure. He will have no fear. And in the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. You know, I, I want to just say this. I need, some of you have heard the story. Many of you are new here. Uh, about three years ago, our daughter had a stroke. Um, 30, I think 35, 30, 35 years old, something like that. 33, 32, 33. All right. Anyway, it was serious. And it was, it was very, very serious. And she's here today with her fiancé. Uh, but let me just tell you the story. that The night that we got that call, this is one of those phone calls that you never, ever want to get. But the night that we got that call, uh, I mean, it was just, you know, I mean, it was, you, you could feel the waves of just uh, worry and fear. And the call was that she was not going to make it through the night. And the call was catch the next plane, the fastest plane that you can catch and get here because she's not going to make it through the night. And so Nina and our uh, middle daughter, Grace, uh, started checking flights. And there was, you know, this is like 8 or 9 o'clock. Couldn't get out that night. So they took off the next, the next morning. But that night, um, I, needed, I needed someone that I could talk to. I needed someone, a man of God that I could talk to that could help me. I needed a prayer partner. And so I called a friend of mine that was a, a worship leader. He's a worship leader at a church in, in Houston. And uh, his name is Robert Ashley. And I said, Robert, look, I mean, we're, you know, we got some bad news. I need you to get to the hospital as quick as you can. And I need somebody, you know, that's not in hysteria. I need to know the bottom line. Is she going to make it? Is she going to live or not? And I need you, I need somebody solid. And I need somebody that's, you know, not in a panic, not in a fear. He said, I'll, be, I'll call you from the hospital in 10 or 15 minutes. He lived fairly close. I get the call from him, and he says, yes, it's just like they're saying, that she's probably not going to make it through the night. And so I'm thinking, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, you know what? Uh, I'm not buying this. I am not buying this. I said, Robert, you get your telephone, and you put it by her ear. I want to be able to speak words into her ear. And so he walks in that room. He puts his telephone in her ear, and I begin to speak. God says, I am the resurrection and the life. And the Psalms, David said, God, what good will I do in the grave? There's no praise for you, God, in the grave. I begin to speak that word. You will live and you will not die. And I begin to speak to her. And, I mean, just word after word after word. You know, for 14 days she was on life support, and she came out. You know, while she was in the hospital, she was engaged to be married, and she was on life support on that wedding day. Well, I want to just tell you, here we are three years later, and on June the 30th, her and her fiancé, David, are going to be married here in Santa Fe. <laughs> so, guys, I'm telling you, you've got to get a word. You've got to get a word. You've got to have a word from God. So, um, let me just, I'm going to move through the rest of these real quick. God, his promise of hope to give you eternal life. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, that whosoever hears, listen to me, whosoever hears my word, it's about the word, guys. That's why it's so important for you to have a quiet time. It's important for you to read your Bible. I mean, this is the most precious gift that God has given us is the word of God. I mean, besides Jesus dying on the cross and our salvation, he has given us the word of God. It is precious, and we've got to get into it and read the word of God so that when we go through a crisis or when we need to hear God, we know, we, we know where to go. Just like that woman knew where to go, Malachi. I'm going to look it up again. If this, the, this guy really is the Messiah, I can touch the hem of his garment, and I'm going to be made whole. 
And so Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth, whosoever hears my word and believes him who sent me will have eternal life. Some of you are struggling about that. It's like you're struggling and, you know, I mean, I've sinned. I've sinned so much. You don't know, Ron, how bad I've been. I don't know how bad you've been, but I know how good, and I know the power of God. And he just simply says, it's not by your good works, it's not by the things that you do, it's not how much you read the Word of God or pray, or even how much you go to church, not how much money you give. Do you believe in Jesus? Have you given him, have you made him Messiah of your life? He says, I tell you the truth, the time is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Let me just tell you what, that almost sounds like the dead that are in the grave. But that's talking about the spiritually dead. It's talking about those that have not given their life to Jesus Christ. All right? And you can do that. You can do that this morning. You can give your life. You can hear the voice of the Son of God. Faith comes by hearing. Maybe something that God said here this morning through his word is speaking to your heart, and you want to get right with God this morning. All right, so that is the written words. That, that's the Logos word of God. Now, I'm going to talk to you just a couple of scriptures on the rhema word because, you know, when I read this right here in Acts chapter 8, it says, Behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopia, who had charge of her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning and sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then, listen to this, the Spirit said to Philip, go over, or go near and overtake that chariot. Well, you guys know that story, that how he goes over and the guy's reading something and he doesn't understand, and Philip explains it to him. He gets saved, and uh, history actually says that this is how the Word of God came to Ethiopia, is, is right here through this, this, this event right here. And so, but, but see, P, uh, P, uh, Philip is not going to be able to open the pages of this and, and find it here. Okay, Philip, I want you to go over, you know, to the Ethiopian in the chariot. You know, he's not going to find it in here. He needed to hear the rhema word of God. And some of you are in that place right now. It's like, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? I'm in a place I need to hear your voice, God. I want to hear your voice. I want to know what to do. What do I do next? You know, what is the next step for me in life? And, and that is that rhema word. And so, again, Acts chapter 10, while Peter was still thinking about a vision, he had the vision, the three sheets come down, all of the uh, forbidden animals, uh, you know, are in the sheet. And God says to Peter, rise up and kill and eat. And uh, Peter says, I've never, you know, I've never eaten anything unclean. I'm not starting now. Uh, but God it says that the, the Spirit said to him, Simon, Simon Peter, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs and do not hesitate to go with them. I have sent them. This is the word of God. This is that rainbow word of God that, that God gave to Peter about taking the word of God to the household of Cornelius. And then in Acts chapter 13, it says, while they were worshiping and fasting, and this is talking about some of the disciples and the apostles and prophets, um, and I believe this was at Antioch, it says that the Holy Spirit, listen to this, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. This was the beginning of the great work, the first missionary journey. They heard the word of God. It wasn't written, it wasn't just the written word of God. But let me tell you, guys, you won't become comfortable knowing the word of God, that spoken word of God, unless you were familiar with the written word of God. Because they won't contradict each other. I mean, they fit together like hand and glove. 
And so what I'm just saying to you this morning is, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All right, what I'm saying to you this morning is that you need to hear the Word of God, whether it's the written Word of God or the spoken Word of God. God's got a plan and a purpose and a direction for your life, but you won't find out what that is until you hear God's voice. And remember what we said last week that James said that, you know, don't just hear the Word of God, but do it. Do it. And, you know, I, I just think about, you know, sometimes the biggest problems that we face in life is when we are disobedient to the Word of God. I've been there, and I think that you've been there as well. And it's just kind of like when we just say, God, I know what your Word says. I know that, I, I know that you think this is the best thing to do, but let me try it my way. Let me try it my way. And then my way ends up in disaster or I hit the wall and my wife, my, my wife, my, my life starts falling apart. <laughs> yeah, when my life starts falling apart, my wife starts falling apart too uh, at me. Um, anyway, uh, when your life starts falling apart, I just want to encourage you that, oh, just get to a quiet place. Get to a quiet place and listen to that still, small voice. Amen?